You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. Before we get started on the podcast, I just wanted to come to you guys with a special offer. I teamed up with HuntWise, the makers of the HuntWise app. They make a digital mapping software application for hunters. It allows you to tell the borders of public and private lands, who owns that land, how much land is there. Um, it's great for scouting, you know, new WMAs or public parcels, as well as using the offline features to be hunting deep in the backcountry. And what's best is we have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. If you go to www.huntwise.com and use code HAP10 at checkout, you will get 10% off of the app. Once again, that's code HAP10 at www.huntwise.com. Now let's get to the episode. I feel like all that I've been talking about on the podcast recently has been elk hunting. And sadly for you guys, or not sadly, it doesn't end this week. This week on the podcast, I am joined by Trent Minson. He is a good buddy from high school. We actually played baseball um, with each other growing up. And we're in this episode, we're just talking about our planning of our trip um, for this September. We're going to Northwest Colorado. So if you guys want to hear a perspective of a couple of newbie elk hunters from the Midwest, stay tuned to this one. All right. This week, podcast land episode 22 with my man, Trent. We are about to talk about something we know absolutely nothing about. So, <laughs> and that's really the best way to put it. So yeah. why don't you, why don't you just let the listeners know what we're up to this September, Trent? All right, so um, back a couple months ago, I contacted Christian and was like, hey, what about an elk hunt this September? And and I I put, are you down, question mark? And he came back and said yes. So um, ultimately, we are two Midwestern boys going out to Colorado for the first time ever. And, uh, well, not ever, but to hunt and uh, hopefully do some good. Yeah, I mean, hopefully... I've, yep. I was doing a little bit of math at work today, and I saw that the overall, through all the units that do archery last year, there was an 8% success on bulls. So, now, I guess you take that as you will, but for me, that means 8 out of every 100 did it. So, that kind of got me pumped. And then 11% uh, got a bull or a cow. So Yeah, def- definitely. Like, I was reading, uh, I don't know when it was, but... Like that, I seen the elk population is really high in Colorado, so the chances of seeing an elk are way better than in Idaho or any other western state. So I, that's that's a confidence booster for sure. But something that I've thought about too is what I've what I've learned from talking to people on the podcast is just that um, other states grow bigger bulls, but Colorado you get the best chance, especially for someone that is used to just sitting in a tree stand 
like sure. it's gonna give us the best opportunity at you know at least killing Abel. I don't care if it's four by four or five by five, whatever. My the the bull that I'm targeting this uh, this fall is legal. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, yes. Uh, I think I'm not really. I mean, if I get one in bow distance, so even if it's a cow, I won't even matter because it's because it's a dual purpose tag. Like I can take a cow or I can take a bull. But if I get one in bow range. That that's made my hunt right there, just and the camaraderie around campsite. So, I think that should be interesting. Do you think? Do you? So would you? So say first day you get there, and you're like, okay, uh, you just get really lucky, and you get like a some cows within like fifty yards. Would you kill a cow the first day? Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I got really lucky on the first day. If I pull my bow back on a cow, I think I think if I had to take a cow, it would be on the last couple days um, if we kind of figure out where they're going and stuff. But I think I'd hold off, honestly. But then again, in the heat of the moment, it might change. So who knows? Yeah, I what I was what's funny is I was uh, I was looking up like how much extra a cow tag was. And I think it's like two hundred dollars extra. And for me, something that I've been thinking about, and you tell me like if this is something you've thought too, um, like I am going basically i'm going on a thousand dollar grocery shopping trip like i'm gonna have i'm gonna have like meat for everyone if i kill an elk so like for me coming home without an elk is not going to be devastating because you know you still buy beef and stuff but i really 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 want to come home with one that way i can like justify to lauren that like it was worth it for me to come out here yes definitely that's i've thought about that so much here in the past couple months it's just like do I kill a do I kill a cow right off the bat or do I do I kill a bull because it's going to be so much harder going first time with our bows like I talked to some guys back uh, at the at the power plant uh, a couple months ago and they they're going this fall and they're going in like the second rifle season mm-hmm. and they're like I'll be lucky to even shoot anything or whatnot so they was telling me that I better pull my bow back on the first thing I see but I don't know you know that's definitely a battle. Yeah. I don't know. The first thing, dude, like I said, first legal bull, I will definitely be pulling my bow back. But yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be tough. So, oh, yeah. looking looking at it, um, you know, how have you started preparing for a hunt like this? Like, what have you what have you done being from Oklahoma and how do you think you've prepared and what do you want to how do you want to prepare more like going forward? Oh, man. Um Listening to uh, your podcast with um, uh, Mountain Ops and uh, what is uh, what's his name? Uh, Jordan Harbertson. Yeah, Jordan Harbertson. Um, I definitely need to be in better shape. I know. I know being at work right now is kind of spoiling me because we go eat out like almost every day. But that's gonna be that's gonna be one of my killers. But another thing uh, that I think that will per prepare me is when I get my pack in and I can actually throw it on my back and put some weight in there and kind of get those same muscle groups working, you know, instead of going to the gym and lifting, which, which is not a bad thing, but I think that's going to be the main goal for me is getting a pack on and start walking around with the weight. Yeah. When I was talking to Bo Martonic the other day, he was, he was talking about, you know, running is really, really good for cardio. It's going to help. You know, it's going to condition your legs a little bit, but you really can't replicate like putting weight on your back and walking and even walking like around where we're from. Like it's not 
super hilly. So like you're not getting a lot of incline change. And like he was talking about just doing step ups, like stepping yeah. up onto a box and back down. He's like, it's really boring. But I think that's something that I might start doing just because I know even being in Mississippi last spring, like I know that it is going to absolutely murder me to be going up those steep inclines. And imagine like packing like a bull elk out of there. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and like, imagine, imagine a, a whole quarter on your back trying to pack it out to the trailhead at least. And that's going to be, that's going to be a mental thing. Just knowing that that much weight's on your back and you got to get it from point A to point B. I think that's going to mentally be tough, you know? Yeah. Especially since you have to quarter, take the quarters out before you take the head. Like I would be, oh my gosh, I would be so like babying <laughs> if I got an elk, like I would be like, okay, I'm going to take the head and then uh, <laughs> you know? I'm not going to make sure, I'm going to make sure this is not get stolen by a mountain <laughs> or something. Like I, yeah. I can, I cannot let that happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you did mention running and stuff. That's another thing I'm really concerned about. Yeah. What, what does it look like for you? Like, how have you tried to like start preparing for like calling? Have you like watched YouTube videos? Like, what does that look like? Well, um, yeah, I've watched uh, Corey Jacobson uh, mm -hmm. on YouTube, and uh, he gave a pretty good uh, start to it. And I kind of, I ordered my call and my tube and stuff, and I just kind of threw it in. That was the first time I ever had a diaphragm call on in my mouth, and it kind of made me want to gag at first, like everybody says, but. Mm -hmm. Once I once I got the hang of like the vibration and you know kind of your tongue placement, it it came pretty easy, which is which I was really fortunate to, you know, pick up on it pretty quick. But hopefully, um, I can improve on some of my other calls. I can bugle pretty good, but other than that, I don't know. <laughs> so what uh what call did you end up going with? Uh, I think it it's the amp read uh the diaphragm call and then the tube is a phelps oh nice yep nice so hold on there was one there was something else oh so have you never have you never like blown like a uh like a diaphragm turkey call or anything like that no that was the first time that was the first time i literally ever put a diaphragm call in and like i said i just got really lucky like they say some people pick it up really quick and then some other people it takes forever but you know yeah so, I mean, what have you, have you started like practicing your cow calling and stuff like that too? Yeah, definitely the cow call. I, I got three different reeds and one of them has like really thick latex and one of them has a really thin latex and, uh, the, uh, thin latex is a better one to cow call on. It seems like for me, it gives that kind of high pitched, you know, and then low pitch scream. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, yeah, dude, that's, I mean, I'm excited about the, the calling. I mean, I mean, I'm afraid we're going to be a, maybe just like a week early in September for like peak rut, but, um, talking to, talking to Steve Chappell on the podcast, he was just telling me that, you know, you can still use bugling and you, they'll still bugle back to you and, you know, what you can still locate them and challenge them, but you know, they might not just be as active in early September with the bugling, but I think cow calling is going to be a huge part of what we're doing. Just getting in close. Steve was saying that, you know, you need to get in close, but you can use the cow call to locate them. But once you, once you locate them, you kind of need to be quiet and get in close again. And then like kind of softly like, Oh, Hey, I'm over here. And he said, uh, he said that that would really work. So I think that's going to be 
honestly a really big part of our strategy for going in, you know, not knowing anything. Like we're really going to have to work to get really, really close to these bulls, which is really exciting. But I'm, I'm also kind of nervous. Like how are we, how we're going to do that? You know? Yeah. There's a lot of nerve wracking things to think about. Like, man, how am I going to get 60 yards to a bull and how am I going to get him this close? And what about a shooting lane and all this stuff? So there's a lot to think about, like when it comes down to pulling the, like actually pulling your bow back and squeezing the trigger. But I really hope that we just stumble onto something that's, that's really good, like a pinch point or somewhere that has a lot of wallows or I don't know. I'm just, there's a lot to expect, I guess. How important do you think water is going to be like locating water in like early September? I think water is probably going to be the most important. Like I, I think that if we push all morning and try to locate them like on foot and like try to do it like turkey hunting in Oklahoma or wherever, you know, but then, then in the evening, if we're not having any luck, then I think that's, that's going to be our key, like early afternoon to late evening. You're just going and sitting by the water. Yeah. Or wallows. Yeah. What do you mean by you say wallows? Like, like places they've stepped in like holes and stuff like that. Or what do you mean? I feel like, I mean, from what I gather from a wallow, it's more like, like, you know, where they wallow down and like, like a pig, like a, you know, you've Mm -hmm. seen plenty of pigs in Texas, you know, I'm sure. But Oh yeah. Anyhow. So I feel like that could be a good spot because they're, they're going to be looking to cool down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So what are you, what are you, what do you still got to get for camping? Like, uh, what, what other gear do you have to get to make sure you have to get back in there? Oh man. Um, my plan is to get, uh, I talked to a guy at work and he said a bivy sack, which is going to be like a really light, like a one man tent mm-hmm. and, and like a sleeping pad. So if, if we're going to go way back in there, I want my one man tent on my pack. But if we set up like base camp, when, when we first get there, I want like a actual tent, you know? So this depends on where we can park our truck and how close we can walk in from the truck, I guess. So is it an actual sleeping bag or a sleeping pad? It's like a there you can buy the pads separate, but like the tent is like a one person tent and it's kind of like pops up and it has a frame like an actual tent around your head. Mm-hmm. But it's like a one person like sleeping it's like a bag st- slash tent. So that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm afraid I'm afraid for us like Kind of what I want to do is I don't want to like, I know obviously you're going to see people on the trailheads and the roads and stuff, but I really, really, really want to get back in those sanctuary areas and those areas where they're kind of going to be unpressured, especially since we're there the first week of season and they might be a little bit closer to the road and stuff, but I really, really want to get far back in there. And I think for me, that's going to be ending up like packing up camp, like, gosh, I hate to say every day. But it might it might come down to that, you know, like something I've talked about with Jake is like, you know, if we put an elk to bed, I mean, why not go three or four or five hundred yards back and just sleep there, you know, because because they're going to be there in the morning. Yeah, that was my that was my thought thought when I was went to order like some of my camping gear and like the bivy sack. That was my main thought is what if we get up close to an elk and we're really far back in there and, you know, it's a good sized bull and we don't want to you know go go out and then somebody come in early in the morning busted out in front of us you know so something to think about too and something i've learned hunting multiple states um and moving around is 
like stuff just looks different in the dark. Like, and you know that whitetail yeah. hunting, like there's places like even hunting back at home. It's like, am I going the right way? It's like, you've hunted here a hundred yeah. times, you know, like how do you not know where you're going? But like even out there, like hunting in Mississippi and, and Kansas and stuff like that, it's like, dude, in the dark, like trying to pinpoint that again, even if say, if you're even 30 or 40 yards off, you know, you're sitting there with yeah. your bow up, you're like, all right, he's going to stand up. He's going to be right there. And he stands up to your left and he's got you or something like I, I want to avoid that situation so bad. And I know in the dark, dude, it's so hard to relocate something. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be a big deal too, because like I've put it on my phone, like on, on my Onyx, like the offline mode and went mm -hmm. duck hunting public and where I marked where my blind was. And I tried to find it the best I could, but it's so hard if you don't have any kind of like line or track of where you went, you know? So that's definitely something to think about. I've had issues before with even using Onyx on the offline feature. Like sometimes like when you go offline and you're trying to like zoom in and go back up, the map won't load very well. Yeah. And what I'm really, really afraid of is getting out there and, uh, and just not loading. And so that's why Jake's getting it. He's getting a GPS just to, you know, as a backup, but Onyx is definitely great and it's great for marking and stuff, but I'm really afraid that the offline feature might not work way, way back in there. That's, that's kind of what I'm concerned about. I mean, it's a great app, but, um, I was definitely going to go ahead and bring my dad. My dad has a Garmin for his uh, coon dogs. So, mm -hmm. um, and I know you can get the Onyx chip to slip in the the Garmin. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, I was thinking about going ahead and buying the chip and slipping it in the Garmin. So that way we have like a satellite, you know, kind of better picture, and you know, we don't have to worry about losing connection. On some of those Garmins, can't you like send text messages? Uh, yeah, I believe so. They're they're pretty high tech. They're uh, I know that InReach is a pretty uh, pretty cool brand, or a pretty cool like sub brand. That's really cool. I mean, what do you think it's going to be like locating these elk? Like, do you think it's going to be like I'm bugling and they're going to respond, or is it like we're going to find these north facing slopes? Or like, what's your main plan if you were going to go there tomorrow? Like, how would you locate elk? Like, what would you look for right off the bat? I think what. What I've heard the most listening to podcasts and just people talk on YouTube and different platforms is is definitely look for north facing slopes. Maybe bugle at the north face, facing slopes, and then if they don't respond, I think early in the season we should go ahead and push on to the north facing slopes and just check it out at least because they're bound to be around that area. I would think. Yeah, one thing that I'm going to do too is get a spotting scope, and so. Man, I really hope to save us some walking time by having a, a quality set of optics. But I know, like, a lot of people that I see on, like, YouTube hunting elk and stuff, like, they're not using a spotting scope in early September. Like, the bulls and the cows, like, are reactive and they're vocal and, like, you don't have to use that as much. But I feel like for us, it's going to be, it's going to be nice because we can at least, like, maybe locate some and then start to play their game from there. Yeah, I think... I think if we can get on a good glassing knob or, or somewhere up high where we can look down, but the only thing I, th I can see a problem with that is maybe like too much ve vegetation. I mean, it's going to be September, so I don't know, I don't know what it's going to look like in Colorado early September. I've never, never been in Colorado early September. That's my only worries. Yeah. I would assume that it would be just a little bit more green than the summer. Um, 
you know, I think summer, a lot of times some stuff dies out, even though it rains a lot and stuff. But, dude, Colorado, from what I've seen in the summer, it is it is gorgeous, but it's going to be a beast. It, like, yeah. It's going to be... And I, I really hope that I'm overhyping this. Like, I really hope, like, oh, my God, it'll kill you with the physical fitness. I really hope that's, like, not true. I know it's going to be true to an extent, but it's going to be... It's definitely going to be tough. And, like, like you said, the vegetation, I just... I really want to be able to locate the bulls and like stuff like that. So having a good map, having a good spotting scope, like all that stuff's going to be super essential to, yeah, you know, to being successful. Yeah, definitely. I know. Um, I know. Back home here, when we're scouting for ducks and and stuff in early September, looking for teal, it is really swampy and nasty and hot. But hopefully, it's a different climate, different. You know. Being up there higher in the altitude, it'll change some stuff. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know what to expect. So it's going to be interesting, to say the least. One thing that we wanted to do, I know when we were planning a hunt last year, me and Jake, we really wanted to go out and scout it beforehand. Like now, I know that's, gosh, that's thousands of miles extra, right? But if you could get like three or four days just out there like scouting, I feel like that would help so much on a unit. Just, just knowing even from their summer patterns, like where they are, where they're bedding, where they're getting water. I think, I feel like relatively those, those things are going to stay the same. You know, we're only a month, you know, two months out. So that would be really nice, but I just feel like, I feel like that's not going to end up happening. Yeah, that's, that, I've definitely contemplated that as well. Like, uh, can I take off work for this weekend and get out there, you know? Cause I, I mean, I work four tens, but even, even when you have that Friday off, it's going to be a long shot getting out there, looking around and then getting back, hurry up and get back before work on Monday. That's, that'll be tough for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally two full days of traveling and one day to scout and then work the next week and then i mean that would just be really be hellish to to try to do all that in one weekend but it's definitely something and and one thing i've thought about too just to kind of chase a rabbit hole here is how bet how much better you're going to get year to year just you know going to the same area like if you hunted you know unit 80 or something like that i'm just throwing a number out there if you hunted unit 80 and you're like oh they were there they were here last year. They were doing this. They were doing that. You know, you're already going to have that process so streamlined for the next year, and it's just going to make it that much easier. So, like, not only am I excited about like going this year, I think next year is going to even be even better. Oh yeah, I think um, I think the over the counter thing needs to be like a yearly thing because each year you go, you're going to get way better. And I I don't know who said it, but I, I I was listening to a podcast. I think it was on Elk Talk, but he was talking about how each year his brother-in-law would go out there and get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, so each year I think it's going to be a new learning, you know, record. But yeah, that was on Elk talk. That was Randy. And, and yeah, I think that was, was it Randy talking about his brother? That's what I think it was. Yeah, I think so. I, I do a lot of listen to that in the morning cause I got to drive to uh prior in the morning for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely a good one to, <laughs> to fill your time up with They're They're super knowledgeable. But I mean, out of all the out of all the Western species there are to hunt, you know, mule deer, antelope, all those things. Why why was elk at the forefront of your mind of things like if I get to get out of Oklahoma and hunt, that's going to be one that I'm going to go after. Man, um, I think being from Oklahoma and just seeing all your buddies show up to high school, oh, I killed this giant buck, you know, and and having to have that proof of that picture of you know 
validation of he killed that buck or whatnot. And then you coming back and and being proud of what you've harvested and being proud of that meat that you bring home. And a lot of it, I think that is probably why I chose elk in the first place. So you, what, I mean, do you, are you excited about hunting something that's literally like three or four times the size of a whitetail? <laughs> yes. I like, I don't, I don't know what I'll do if it gets into bow range and it's just so giant standing right in front of me because literally the only thing I've seen is, you know, a whitetail. And I mean, you, everybody's seen a whitetail, so they know that they're not not nearly as big as an elk. So, I was up in Colorado in uh, for spring break, and there was a. I, I went up to Colorado Springs near the Dream Stream, which is just like a it's like a fish haven up there. Everyone goes up to fly fish, but dude, I saw my first bull elk on the side of the road, and it was just standing there at thirty yards. And oh it, it looked ten times the size of of a of a deer, and it was just like a small four by four. Yeah. And even the cows, dude, the cows are like three or four times the size of a buck, and it was so euphoric. Got to see yeah. some antelope, got to see some mule deer. It just makes me think like how I'm not gonna say sheltered, but how um, naive we are to what's actually out there that we can go hunt. And like in Oklahoma, we do have a lot of stuff. We got pigs, you know, turkey, whitetail, but there's still so much out west that I just want to go hunt. Oh, yeah. There is, like, unlimited amount of uh, things to go out there and hunt. And and I watched a guy go on a tar hunt in New Zealand, and it was just like, man, you get to go all the way to New Zealand just to go after a tar. That's awesome. And, and I mean, it's a lot of work, but once you get to the end of that and you have harvested a trophy it it's well worth it i think yeah i think so too i mean we me and jake were talking about it we went on an antelope hunt last uh yeah i guess it was last september no last october first week of october last year and jake was like i hope he listens to this podcast it's gonna be really funny um jake was like yeah i just feel like antelope aren't gonna be nearly as fun as whitetail and i was like i think you've never hunted antelope before and he was like, yeah, maybe you're right. So we went out there and like we went on our first stock. We got within like 80 yards of some, popped the decoy up. Anyways, they busted. We were hunting with a bow, but we, oh my God, we could have killed so many if we would have had a rifle. Oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, hunting with a bow. And after our first stock, Jake was like, this is so sick. Like <laughs> he was like, we're going to hunt elk next year. Like we have to go hunt elk next year if it's anything like that. Like the spot and stock style of hunting, dude, is just so it's so attractive to me because yeah. like whitetail hunting, like waking up in the morning, you're not going to go interact with an animal. You're not going to go call an animal in. you're going to sit there and you're going to wait. And like when you're tired, it's so hard to stay awake, you know, yeah. it's so hard sitting in the blind and being tired. But like that Western style is like run and gun calling, interacting strategy. I feel like there's a lot of teamwork involved in it too. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I was going to bring up to you just a little while ago. But, um, I think, I mean, I really love to turkey hunt. I, you know, I turkey hunt almost every spring, you know, now that I'm out of uh, baseball and stuff. But uh, if it's anything like turkey hunting, I know I'll be in love with it and I'll have to go back year after year. That's something that, you know, you can use that would be, you know, similar to turkey hunting. What Steve was telling me was that you can, you, what you what's, what is really ideal is to have one person, the caller behind the shooter. Like, and that's something I've thought about for us is like, that's why we all need to be 
proficient at cow calling, mainly cow calling. Like we have to all be proficient at it because if one of us is going to set 50, you know, to 150 yards back behind the other, like we have to be able to sound, be able to sound realistic while like that bull is working. And that really, I think that's really going to help because just being able to call and that bull be looking for something that's not that hunter is going to be really critical for success. Oh yeah. Like, um, I was listening to that podcast with, uh, Steve Chappelle and it was, it was really informative. I, I listened to it, uh, on my way to work actually. And, uh, like wh- what he said was right on the money because like you, when you're turkey hunting, you set up to one side or the other of a hunter and hope to call that turkey across the path, like the path of a hunter across his face. So that's basically what I grasped from Steve's uh, podcast with you. Yeah, I think that's going to be, it's going to be big. I, I mean, that's, we all have to really, really practice our cow calling for that moment. Cause I mean, it's enough, it's enough pressure to just be hunting with your bow, you know, and trying to shoot a five or 600 pound animal. And like, I couldn't imagine trying to call to while you're, <laughs> while they're coming in. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I think, okay. So I've been thinking really hard. How are we going to decide? We got four guys. How are we going to decide um, who's a shooter and who's not? That's going to be a really tough one, I think. Yeah, so I think for me, and kind of how it's worked out in the past when I've done stuff like this, is I think what you do every day is you you break up in twos and you go your separate ways, right? Because four people, there's absolutely no way. Like, the the you know, because you have to stay motivated in it. You still have to want to go and if you know that you're number four on the totem pole of shooting how motivated are you going to be to go out that morning you know you're gonna be like i'm just gonna sleep in this morning but yeah so i mean you you cut up in groups of two and if you stay in those groups of two for a couple days you know it's like okay the 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 morning's your hunt the evening's my hunt the the evening's your hunt the morning's my hunt you know like you just skip it like that and i think that ends up working best because it, it keeps people motivated like you want to locate elk not only because your buddy will get a shot at one but because like if you don't get it done in that morning you're going to have something to target that evening for yourself yeah definitely which um i think that's a big question for a lot of people that's going out there for the first time is man is it going to be me that shoots the elk or is it going to be my buddy or whatnot but i think it like you said it needs to be a team effort so if if one person shoots it you've all accomplished accomplished your mission you went out to colorado you you got your eyes on an elk, and this is by far not your last elk hunt. I know that for sure. What's great about it, too, is like, yeah, even if your friend gets to harvest the elk, like, you can say, yeah, I called in an elk. Like, immediately. Yeah. You're like, it's, it, that is such, it's such a team sport. Like, yeah, I understand that people can go out and absolutely get it done by themselves, and those people are freak of natures, but I feel like killing an elk with your bow is a, is a, really big accomplishment and just having someone there to call for you would just, I mean, imagine that moment like you, you've just shot an elk and you turn around and your buddy's like jumping for joy, like getting absolutely jacked. At, and you're like, I couldn't imagine the feelings like coursing through your veins in that moment. Yeah, def- definitely. Like in that, that spur of the moment, just reaction that, yeah, that's none other. I think. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. I'm really excited. I mean, what else are you excited about for the hunt? Oh man, I uh, I don't know. It's just all of it, like um, capturing some of it. I'm I'm looking forward to taking my camera and stuff and capturing just a little bit of everything we do, and whether that be pictures or video or whatnot. But um, I'm look forward to doing that. But th- just the whole experience. That's that's 
basically what I can sum up from my point of view. I don't know what it will be for Jake's or yours or, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the camera aspect of it too. Like I know we're not going to get any photos of like one of us drew back on an elk because I would definitely rather have the video, but (laughs) I just, I think that if someone's calling and I don't know how we would do this, if we'd have to get like a, uh, maybe like a harness for the chest where you can like, I know they have ones where you can like strap your camera like onto your shoulder. And so it's kind of just there and you can just pull it off. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone's calling and uh, they could get video, like I think the guy that's calling that day should definitely be carrying a camera because a lot of what I've heard and what Steve was telling me was elk have about 2060 vision. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not great. And so if you're, if your buddy's shooting a 50 yard shot on an elk and you're still a hundred yards away, like you're definitely going to be able to pull your camera out and, and oh, video yeah. that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and with like, I have a 70 to 200 on my camera right now. And, uh, I think if you're back there a ways you can, I mean, even if you're probably 20 to 30 yards away from your shooter, you can probably get a pretty good video. You know, it's not going to be wide angle, but it'll be a good video if you want to have that, you know, does your camera, does that lens have image stabilization? Yes, yes it does. Was that, oh, that was your, that was the lens you bought that was super expensive, right? Yeah, it, it costs a pretty penny and I, I was, I was hesitant to cough it up, but I, I knew I wanted it and, you know, I do a lot of filming with uh, being in a tree stand. It's fun, you know, keeps the hunt interesting. So it was worth it? Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Yep. Well, dude, I am I'm extremely excited for this September and if one out of four of us gets an elk, then I will consider that a very successful trip. And if not, I know at least we're gonna have an encounter. And that really excites me and that's what's keeping me going. Like every day at work I'm thinking about it. Yes. And my thing is a lot of the gear that, that I'm you know, didn't need to spend money on in past years, I'm finally going ahead and buying that gear to get good gear to go out west so that's another thing that really excites me but other than that yeah i'm really stoked about every aspect of it well we're gonna we're definitely gonna be jumping on and doing another podcast with hopefully one of us one of the two of us and hopefully jake or other jake as well will have a bowl but maybe we can uh, jump on and talk about that experience heck yeah I'd, i'd love to do it hey guys thank you so much for consuming the hunter's advantage podcast we really appreciate it and we really do do the podcast for you all and just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear feel free to message us on facebook or instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next